All right, John 16. If you have a Bible, it's always fun or a phone or something to kind of make sure I'm not making this stuff up. John 16. Coming to the end of this great study in John. And Jesus is saying some things that uh, are like mind-blowing and also uh, a bit confusing to the disciples. He starts out in verse 16. Now a little while and you won't see me. And then a little while and you will see me. Hmm. And they said, what's he talking about? That's what I would have said. What? In a little while you want to see me and then you'll see me and I go to the Father. What's this he's saying? We don't know what he's talking about. I love the honesty of the Gospels. You know, if this was just a man-made book, the, the disciples would look like really standout, great religious guys. But you know that the Spirit of God inspired this because they are so human and slow to understand, just like you and me. Jesus recognized that they're wrestling with that. And so he says these great words. Don't miss this. Verse 20. Truly, truly. Oh, I... Truly, truly never lights a fire in me. Does that get you excited? If your wife says to you, honey, truly, truly. I don't know why they pick that translation. When you see Jesus say truly, truly, think, listen now. I mean this. This is true. Do I have your attention? That's what he's trying to say. Listen now. You're going to weep and lament. It's going to get bad. It's going to get dark. And the world's going to rejoice. You'll grieve, but hear this, your grief will be turned into joy. Your grief will be turned into joy. That is one of the consistent messages of the Psalms, of the prophets, of Jesus himself. Christian, follower of Christ, lover of God, whatever grief burdens your heart today, Whatever loss, whatever frustration, whatever unanswered prayers before you today, your grief, Jesus said, will one day turn to joy. You can count on it. You can count on it. Now he's setting the boys up here because he's about to be crucified, isn't he? And he wants them to remember, as we watch the story unfold, it seems like they don't remember Jack. I mean, he tells them early on, now look, guys, they're going to arrest me, and they're going to crucify me, and then I'll be raised. And, you know, remember their questions in response were, yeah, so when you're in the kingdom now, will I be on your right or your left? It's like, not paying attention. So he keeps reminding them, it's going to get dark, it's going to get bad, but then you're going to have joy. And then he gives them this great illustration. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. Can I get an amen from some women who have been in that pain. Because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that that child has been born into the world. Isn't that true? How many of you had the privilege of that experience? Yeah, it, it just, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? A man and a woman make some almost microscopic contribution of fluids, and a human is conceived. And then the human grows inside her body. And it goes from being Aquaman or Aqua Girl to an air breather like that. I mean, it's just, how does evolution explain that? I'm sorry, if you're an evolutionist, you live by faith a lot more than I do. That's just such a miracle. Wow. So uh, I'm old enough to have grandkids, and then my daughter Bonnie. 
who lives here near us, she uh, had her first child, and they didn't want to, they were old school, wanted to wait, don't tell us the gender, but, uh, you know, tech, medical technology, they know so much now, it's almost like they know too much, isn't it? It's almost like, you know, just let God's secret chamber, let him do his thing in there. But now, man, they're taking pictures all the time. Look, so uh, as Bonnie progressed in her pregnancy, they said, oh, sit down. They brought the little young parents, Bonnie and Josh. There's fluid around her heart. And it's, there's probably a genetic abnormality that could be real dangerous. And then, like a week or two later, oh, we've, we see a bright spot. We see a bright spot in her intestines. We don't know what that is, but... Clearly, there's some problems. They even talked to Bonnie and Josh about maybe you want to end this pregnancy, you know, because it looks like your child's going to have problems. Bonnie and Josh love Jesus, and they had committed, we're receiving this child, God's in control, whatever, whoever comes, we're going to love them and care for them. So proud of them. So she had to go in all the time. Some of you women have to have been through that, where you had to go in and they're taking, you know, interuteral snapshots all the time of the baby and seeing these things. And so we're just full of anxiety for the last few months of the pregnancy. We're just anxious. And every doctor visit, is it better? Uh, I don't, is it worse? Just, just, and then finally, uh, it gets close to the time that she should come. And she has a visit with uh, these medical professionals that take one more look and go, oh, we need to have this baby born right away. We don't want a stillbirth. That's what this guy said. If I ever meet that guy, I'm going to hit him in the face. You can arrest me. If I ever meet the guy who said that to my daughter, his last words, get her to the hospital. It might be a stillborn. So we're just, our hearts in our throat. We're praying like crazy. They go to the hospital. They give birth to little Heidi. Because they're expecting all these problems, they take her and put her under the Burger King lamp. You know, that's thrilling, isn't it? <laughs> That's my granddaughter. Get her out of there. She's not a Big Mac. Come on, bring her out. And uh, there was nothing wrong with Heidi. Nothing, yay, man. Yes, nothing wrong. So when I read that, this is who I always think about. You know, there was anguish. I mean, there was weeks and weeks of anguish. And then the joy of this cute little dark headed girl, and she's fine. She's two something and has me around her little finger. It's so much fun. But you know, you understand. And Jesus says, uh, therefore, you too have grief now. And these are words that echo across the centuries. He's not just saying this to the 12. He's saying this to me. He's saying this to you. You have grief now. And some of you do. Some of you have suffered real loss, real setbacks, or in a place of real fear and anxiousness. But I'll see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Joy. We've had 2,000 years to make this Christian thing way too religious and serious, haven't we? And Jesus birthright to us is joy. If, if you can hang a left from John 16, go back to chapter 15, that great section on abiding, remaining, being in. In other words, he says, here's, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to get comfortable being with me and me with you. That's abiding. And I want you to be able to rest in my love. That's one of his, 
his calls. I, I want you to abide in my love. Know that as the Father's loved me, I love you. Verse now, 9. Now, hang on to that because your circumstances will shout to you, he doesn't love you. That's, that's the devil's favorite line, you know. Oh, this happened? Well, maybe he loved you then, but maybe, you, maybe you've disappointed him or maybe you haven't been spiritual enough, but clearly to let this happen, he must not love you now. And so Jesus says to us, no, stay in my love. Believe me, trust me, even when circumstances look otherwise. And then I love this, verse 11 of John 15. These things I've spoken to you. These guys are amazing back there. I did not tell them I was going to do these verses. They just find it. Amazing. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The word picture is overflowing. Jesus wants you to enjoy him to enjoy one another, to enjoy this life now and the life to come. Joy is your birthright. Joy is what he wants for you and for me. Joy. A joy, I love this line back in 16, verse 22. Therefore you have grief now, John 16, 22. But I'm going to see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. That's a great statement. The joy that the disciples will have in the risen Christ, and all the promises of the word coming together, and everything he told them, now they're remembering, it's making sense, and now they know who he is, and they know where they're going, and they know their job, and they're full of joy. And Jesus says, that's a joy the world can't take away. Now let's think about that for a minute. Joy. Uh, so easy to hitch my anchor to something that's going to break my heart. That's not going to give me joy. Maybe it's money. Anybody here seen that money can take legs? Anybody notice that? Yeah. Maybe it's a career that suddenly gets sidelined and you had all your joy, your anchor hooked on that job and now... It's not what you hoped or it's gone. Maybe it was a marriage and the marriage didn't go the way that you hoped it would. Maybe it's your kids. You know, we want kids and we want our kids. We got a plan for how we want them to turn out and then they don't turn out that way and they, they steal our joy. So Jesus is saying there is a joy the world can't take and it's me. It's me. One of the messages today, dear one, is to put that anchor of your hope in Christ. No one will take that away from you. He will never let you down. He will never abandon you. You will never be sorry. No one will get on the other side and say, well, I guess, I guess it was worth it. Oh, there will be such joy to come, but there is joy now. He gives joy now when I put my hope in him and not in stuff that the world can take. Other people, success, all those things we're tempted to put our hope in. Hook to Christ, to his word, to his promises, to his presence. Abide in him, like he said in John 15. I discovered after the first service that this was one of old Tom Schrader's favorite quotes. I had no idea, but the Holy Spirit, maybe he's telling Schrader that. Mason's in my old pulpit. What's he doing now? <laughs> Joy is the flag. You know this one? 
Joy's the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence. Isn't that good? Joy's the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing the king is in residence. That's why I love communion. You know, when Jesus gave us communion, the Lord's table, as we enjoyed together, he could have just said, all right, here's bread, represents my body. Here's the chalice, represents my blood. Now just walk by and genuflect. You know, just walk by and thank you, Lord. Don't touch it. Just He could have done that, but he didn't. He said, take the bread and eat it. Take it into you. And he said, that's like my body in you. Drink the wine, swallow it in your innermost being. That's my blood given for you. What's Jesus saying? I'm in you. I'm in you. That's the great New Testament mystery that Paul unfolds. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we don't have a religion where our God is way out there and we're trying to please him or do things he likes or keep him off our back. We have Christ in us. He's in you, child, in you. And you can't make him go away. You can try to quench him. You can try to ignore him, but he's in you. Wow. That's your great hope. That's your confidence. Paul says in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit's like a, like a down payment in you, guaranteeing where you're headed. Joy. Joy. Now, let's think about prayer. Verse 23, in that day, you'll not question me about anything. Truly, truly, oh my goodness, there it is again. If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Wow. That's really anything in your name? I remember C.S. Lewis writing about prayer. He said, you know, one of my problems with prayer is the Jesus' words are just so bold, just so all-encompassing. It's like too much. But it's what he said. If you ask anything in my name, not a formula. Doesn't mean be sure if you don't end the prayer and in Jesus' name it doesn't work. It's not a formula. That's not how our God works. He means if you ask anything according to my will, my purpose, my agenda, my vision, my mission. So maybe when you pray, God, I want the biggest TV at Best Buy, that might not be in his name. But if you ask, Lord, I'm praying for this friend of mine, I want them to know you, they're so lost, that's in his name. Lord, I want you to heal the broken heart of my daughter, that's in his name. Lord, I want you to bless my church and expand her outreach and influence. That's in his name. If you ask anything of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. He goes on to explain in verse 24, now, before I didn't give you this freedom, look at that, verse 24, so that your joy would be made full. It's always about joy. But now, the hour's coming, I'm being more plain, in that day, you'll ask in my name, and I don't say that our request of the Father, verse 26, this is the great line, verse 27, you with me? For the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you love me, and you believe that I came forth from the Father. See, that was the big, hard thing for the disciples to get, that Jesus wasn't just a great man and a prophet who had miraculous gifts, but that he was actually God from the Father. And you can understand because the Jews had been raised on there as one God. We're not a polytheistic religion. We have one God and now Jesus is coming and he's saying he's from the Father. You can appreciate it. It took them a while to get that clear in their head. That's why he keeps repeating that. 
That's why he's so delighted when they finally get it. As they, they say here now, oh, verse 29, lo, there's another great word, lo, who says that? Now you're speaking plainly, you're not using figure. Now we know that all things have no need to ask question anyone. We believe that you came from God, and Jesus' response is, well, finally, finally, are you getting it, really, now? I mean, we're at the level, you just made it, guys. You just made it. It's because we love his son. The father is delighted to answer my prayers because I love his son. That's the father's number one agenda for each of us. Do you love my son? That's what matters. That's, that's the gospel. Do you love Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Do you love the father's son? I, I love when he was baptized. You know that scene in Mark 1 where Jesus comes down to John the Baptist and he takes him down into the dirty Jordan, puts him under, and as he brings him out, the, the heavens open, which I think was Mark's way of saying what was invisible was suddenly visible. And the Spirit comes, and then they hear the Father's voice. Wow, what did that sound like? It's like the Father couldn't hold himself back any longer. And he says, this is my son. I'm so happy with who he is. I'm so pleased. This is my son. The Father loves the son. And so when you love the son, the Father's heart is blessed. You know, as a, it's just a side note. Are you not glad that in the Godhead, in the Trinity, by the way, Tyler had a cool diagram of the Trinity, that they're one and yet they're not the other, they're unique and yet they're one. You know, I, I'm glad we can't understand the Trinity. If we could explain everything about God, that would just be more evidence that this isn't true. The Trinity is one of those things that says, of course you can't understand, you're just a guy, you're a man. If I could understand everything about God, then I made him up. But the Trinity is this wonderful ministry, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the outstanding uh, mark of that relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit is love. Are you not glad? It's not like the old Greek mythology, you know, where Zeus and Mercury and Mars are all fighting and competing and who's fooling who and who's got more power. That's man-made gods. But the God of the Scriptures is a triune God in which the Father, Son, and Spirit love each other. They love to exalt the other. Jesus says all through his ministry, hey, this isn't my plan. I'm doing the Father's plan, exalting the Father. Then the Father says, this is my Son. Look to him. I want every knee to bow, every tongue confess. Him is Lord. That's what I want. And the Spirit comes and says, I'm just here to give witness to the Son. It's just so sweet. This inner relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, aren't you glad you didn't make that up? You didn't vote him into office? That's just who God is. And I'm so glad that's who he is. And that's what he wants for us. That's why he wants us to learn to live in a community of love with each other because that's how they live. Hmm. But these, these promises about prayer Ask for anything. I got spoiled early on. I came to Christ on a Sunday, called my girlfriend, met with her. Finally, Thursday morning, Margie gave her heart to Jesus, and we've now been married 45 years. Then uh, I called my best friend, John, and he thought I was stupid, and why'd you need that crutch? But two years later, 
Jesus got him, and he's now a follower and a preacher of the gospel. Uh, prayed for my mom and dad. Mom had already come to Christ in a Bible study. Dad uh, faced his alcoholism and went to AA and got sober and now loves Christ. So early on, I thought, yeah, you want somebody to come to Christ, let me talk to him. <laughs> I got the gift. I think I got that gift, that evangelist gift. I think I got that. And now I've got friends, my own child, and they're not turning. I say, Lord, how long? I've been praying and asking. You, you said if I ask for anything in your, in your name, I know them repenting and turning to you would honor you and your son. When? When? Anybody else had that prayer? When, Lord? When? When? Because it's always too long for you and I because we're finite. We're just here 70, 80, some years. We're... God lives in eternity. I mean, that's like all the time he's saying things in the Bible like, I'm coming soon, like 2,000 years, is that soon? What's it, you know? His timing, I think because he's outside of time, his time's just different to Jesus. But I'm believing him. I'm going to hang on to that. And I'm going to keep praying for those people I love. I'm going to keep praying for those health concerns. I'm going to keep asking him because he said, you ask and it'll be given. Maybe it'll be given after I'm already on the other side. But I'm going to hang on to that. And Jesus, that's what he wants. He said in Luke, he talked a lot about prayer. Remember his illustration about prayer? He talked about the neighbor that knocks on your house at two in the morning. Hey, wake up. I got company. What? Yeah, to be like that neighbor. What, be obnoxious? No, persist, persist. The, the woman who can't get justice and keeps bugging the judge. Finally, the judge relents. Is God indifferent? We have to make him relent? No, the, the punchline of that parable is how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven hear the prayers of his own? But don't quit. We quit too soon. We quit too soon. Maybe you've heard the stories like I have of moms and grandmoms that prayed for years and years for a husband, for a son and a daughter to come to Christ, and they do. Sometimes it's after the funeral of the one who was praying. But I'm going to hold him to his word. Are you? It's what you said. Makes me wrestle, Lord. Am I praying for your will or my will? In fact, that's how he taught us to pray. May thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's always good. Wrestle, what, am I praying what I want or do I want your best for this person, for me? But don't quit. Don't quit. He, Jesus just said too much about prayer. The promises are, are too strong. All right, last section. Verse 28, look, I came forth from the Father I've come into the world, I'm leaving the world again, I'm going back to the Father. He's telling the guys all the time, uh, I've come for a purpose, for a mission, and I'm going back to my home. I and the Father are one. The disciples now, oh, now we get it. I don't know what changed, but verse 29, oh, now we get it, now it's not fuzzy for us. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus uh, in the vernacular says, really? 
really. Now, now you, he's never too impressed. In fact, uh, he kind of puts them back in their place. You know, an hour's coming, gentlemen, verse 32, it's already come when you're gonna be scattered. You're gonna go to your own home, you're gonna leave me all alone, but don't worry, I'm not alone. The Father will be with me. Wow, strong words from Jesus. Before you guys get too proud of yourself, you think you understand it all, uh, when the heat happens and I get taken to custody, you guys are gonna, you're gonna run. And so we know at the cross, the only disciple there is John, who's there with Mary. All the others are gone. Jesus' own brothers aren't there. Pretty lonely, humanly speaking, but the Father was with him. These things I've spoken to you, verse 33, so that in me you may have peace. Really, you've just said some kind of hard things. What? How are we gonna have peace? Well, in the world you're gonna have tribulation, but take courage. Older translations say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There was a book that came out in the 80s by a psychologist, Scott Peck, called The Road Less Traveled, very popular, and uh, had some God-honoring truths about life, but the first line of the book was so good. It starts out, life is hard, and once you understand that, it's not so hard. And he said a lot of what he does in his counseling is helping people just kind of lower their expectations that everything's not going to work out just the way you want, and life is hard. It's hard for everybody, and once you can make peace with that, now you can begin to develop the skills to live with it. But Jesus is so much better. Jesus says, life is hard, but I have overcome it. That's really good. The psychologist says, life is hard. Now, come on, I'll just help you kind of deal with that. We'll, we'll muddle through. Okay. But Jesus says, life is hard. Boom! I have overcome it. Not just, I'll make it a little better. Boom! I've overcome it. Here's some great synonyms for overcome. I will triumph over. I will defeat. I will prevail. I will vanquish. I will win. Jesus. Book of Revelation is all about that triumph. That triumph. So, in this world, things may not unfold the way you want. One of my favorite characters is John the Baptist. Don't you love that guy? From his mother's womb, he's set apart unto God. And when he's born and becomes a teenager, he takes the Nazarene Nazarite vow, which, you know, no alcohol, no premarital sex, no cutting of my hair. So now he's this young guy, and his hair is just growing, and his beard, and the, the gospels say that he's wearing some kind of animal skin clothes that's just kind of rough and scary, and his diet was locust and honey. Did you read that? So picture his beard. There's grasshopper legs and honey stuck in his beard. I mean, he, he's just this nasty-looking, scary dude and God blesses his ministry. He's out by the dirty Jordan, way outside of town, and he's calling people to repent. He calls the king to repent. He's unintimidated, doesn't care. And Mark says, that they just come out. People were so desperate, so hungry, so ready for a word from God. And everybody could tell this guy is a prophet. This, he looks like a prophet. He sounds like a prophet. And they came, the whole countryside, Mark says, came out to be baptized and to acknowledge their sin and to ask God to do a fresh work. 
So John the Baptist has this awesome ministry, and he has disciples. And when Jesus comes, he has to say to them, you know, I'm not really worthy to tie his sandal. Uh, He's, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. But John kept having this great ministry of revival and baptism and preaching. But it says in Mark, as Jesus started his preaching ministry, John was taken into custody. And it rocked him. It rocked him. Bold, spirit-infused John the Baptist finds himself in jail and says, wait a minute, this isn't how it works. I call them to repentance and confess their sin and set them up for Jesus. I'm in jail? So do you remember what he did? He sent some of his disciples back to Jesus, his cousin, to say, uh, you are the one, right? Can you believe that? I, I didn't miss it. Did I mean, maybe I got carried away because you're my cousin, you know? I, you are the one. And Jesus tells those disciples, you tell John, the lame walk, the blind see. And then as his disciples head back to tell John, yeah, all the evidence is there, Jesus says to his circle of listeners, you know, there's nobody born of a woman that I have higher esteem for than John the Baptist. What does that tell me? John the Baptist is right in the center of the will of God. And his ministry is not ending like he wanted, like his mom wanted, like his friends wanted. But it's, it's ending. He's never going to be released. They're going to put his head on a bloody platter. And so it could look from a human in the stands kind of perspective, well, that's a sad story about John. That didn't end well. But he's right in the middle of the will of God, right where he's supposed to be. And that's a great confirmation to me. This life may not end, it may not play out the way you want it, the way you thought a happy, successful life would look. Some things got lost, some things got broken, some things got taken. Some things happened. You did some dumb, stupid things. You sinned. And there's consequences. But it doesn't mean you are abandoned. It doesn't mean you are not loved. And God is going to overcome it all. 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 Remember the, yeah, isn't that great news? Romans 8. Don't you love Romans 8? If you don't know Romans 8, you go this week. Don't read anything but Romans 8. You'll have a great week. Romans 8, you know, it starts in verse 28. Look at these guys. Wow. We know that God causes all things. We know that God causes all things. The dirty things, the bad things, the mean things, the greedy things, the lustful things, the hurtful things. He causes all things to work together for good not just be okay for good, actually going to bring good through the garbage, going to bring good through the mess, through the pain, going to bring good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul tells us some things that are just way beyond my ability to comprehend. He says, by the way, I knew you before I made the world, foreknew you. I predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son, Mason, that you would be one among many brethren. And those whom I've predestined and called, I've justified, and those I've justified, I've glorified. Wow. 
What then are you going to say to these things, Sandy? If God is for you, who's against you? He who did not spare his own son. Don't you love this, verse 32? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? All things. There's so much coming. It's all going to be redeemed. It's all going to be turned around. It's all going to make sense. And it's all going to end in his glory. And as you and I begin to see this unfold, that we are on the other side, and all the things that we thought were horrible and terrible and a great loss suddenly are being reconciled and restored, and we're seeing the purpose, and we're going to just fall on our knees, and we're going to just say, glory, glory, who is worthy? Who is worthy? In fact, when you read Revelation, that's what's going on. They're just all like, oh, we've seen what he's going to do. It's, oh, how did Paul put it? I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered your imagination what God has prepared for those who love him. I remember when uh, <clears throat> my son Josh, our firstborn, we were living here in the valley. You know, when you live in the valley, the big question for parents is, when do we take them to Disneyland, right? When are they, when is Disneyland, when is the primo time? Most of you go way too early. They don't remember, you spend a lot of money, they cry, you get frustrated. You've seen them all over the park. I don't know. We took Josh about five or six. Now, before we went to Disneyland, this will date me, see if anybody remembers Chuck E. Cheese. Really? Some of you remember Chuck E. Cheese? So Chuck E. Cheese was a pizza place, you know, and maybe half as big as this auditorium, and they had animatronic characters. So you could get pizza, and these characters, kind of lame, you know, they'd move and sing and stuff. And so now that's, that's the best that Josh has seen. Now we go to Disneyland, we go through the gates, go by the train, we're going down Main Street, we're telling him over here is Fantasyland and Frontierland, Tomorrowland, we're going to do this, and his little six-year-old jaw is just a gap, you know, and Josh, what do you think, what do you think, honey? I thought it was going to be like Chuck E. Cheese. He just thought maybe a bigger room, a few more characters, maybe a ride, I mean, it just, just blew his mind. That's what's coming for you and me. All things restored. All the pain will make sense. That's why this life matters. Because all the anguish now is going to be such rich joy on the other side. And that's why some of his choicest ones suffer so deeply. John the Baptist's joy was rich. Rich. Revelation 7, overcomer. Revelation 7, 15. Actually, 16 and 17. When we get on the other side, they will hunger no longer, thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them. That is a word for Arizona especially. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Nor any heat, why? Look at this. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. He won't just be this distant God sitting in the throne and, you know, come by, have a tour. No, he'll be shepherding us. We have things to do, and he will guide us to the springs of the water of life, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. 
We will bring our tears. We'll bring our tears with us on the other side because we'll remember and we'll have concerns and questions and he will wipe them all away as we see the reconciliation of everything in our life and the life to come. Because Jesus is the overcomer, friend. He's the overcomer. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not just saved us from our sin, but you have overcome the world and that you have something prepared for us who love you that will uh, make the anguish of this life joy. I pray that you would give us joy today that we might dare to hook our anchor into that great truth that we are known and loved and that you are working things for your purposes. Give us faith to trust you today in the midst of our trials. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Amen.